This is number three in our series, Repent and Believe the Gospel. So let me just go a quick review real quick. I, I feel like there's so much out there being planted into our minds and our hearts. There's so much going on in the world right now. A lot of the good we're just overlooked because we have no, unless you're digging to like maybe a voice of the martyrs or you're going to a website that's, you know, that's reporting Christian happenings or even just good work. The guy from the office, what's the guy's name? John, is it? John Krasinski. He's got a little YouTube channel. A little, it's probably millions by now, but you know, he's putting out good news. And I, I just appreciate that type of thing. You know? So I would, I would challenge you, go look for some good news. Go, you know, not that we want to stick our head in the sand and pretend like that there's not bad news, because there is, if you haven't heard. <laughs> but which one are you going to let fill your mind and your heart? You know? This series is kind of piggybacking off of the, the last series that we talked about called He Shall Reign. And I really, I feel like we went into the idea of the wheat and the tares. Jesus gives the parable of the end or whatever we want to call these times that we're in right now. He says, there will be a point in time when there's wheat and tares, specifically talking about the state of the world and the state of the kingdom. And there's some very interesting things that he says about that time. The disciples are all ready to go attack the weeds and pull up the tares and questioning whether or not the, the seed that the master planted was good seed or not, which to me is an allegory to questioning whether or not God is good in light of the fact that there are weeds in the earth. Are you with me? We look at the state of the world and we question God's goodness. We look at the state of our lives and people suffering and we question God's faithfulness. That's what the, we should get, one of the things that we should get out of the parable of the wheat and the tares. And the master says, no, you know, there's, there's going to be weeds and there's going to be wheat. Let them both grow up together. And see, here's the thing that we don't realize is that weeds and wheat in the beginning look the same until they bear fruit. One dies off and tries to wreck a crop, but the wheat grows and bears fruit and sustains you. See, wheat and t it's hard to distinguish you know, you got a lot of people out there prophesying this and prophesying that. You got people teaching this, teaching that, and you don't know who to pay attention to. Just sit back, pray, remain faithful, and wait and watch and follow God in the process because the wheat is evident and the weeds are evident. Don't get all worried about trying to classify the weeds, trying to get down into the genome and the species of what these weeds are, and you see what they are is they're a global economic system coming in to reset and put us on a cashless society, and they're going to come in and put chips in us, and we're, you know, it's like, I mean, even if that happens, who cares? I mean, that's, that's kind of my attitude. I mean, we don't want to see those kinds of things happening, but there's technology out there that can really change the world in not a good way and can be, can be, used nefariously. You know what I mean? But I'm getting, I, maybe I'm just speaking from the, the Facebook messages that people send me and the emails and the posts that people send. What do you think about this? Prophet so-and-so says this is what's about to happen. I mean, I know what Jesus is doing. Jesus is going about destroying his enemies. Jesus is reigning through us in this life. And he said, while he's reigning and he is eliminating the enemies from his kingdom, until the end, remain faithful. Amen? There's wheat and there's weeds. The presence of weeds should not overshadow the wheat. 
The fact that there are dark things going on in the earth does not mean that the kingdom is not increasing also. Which one do you want to participate in? Which one do you want to fuel your dreams at night? We have a choice. Walking in the midst of the state of the world, but like he said, being the light of the world. Amen? That, that's, that's, you know, we're not ignoring the state of the world. We're just looking at it saying the world's going to be the world. Obviously the world's going to be the world. And, but we're going to be emotionally reactionary to the state of the world because of the state of the world and forgetting who we are. So what I felt like is the Lord put on my heart to really just saturate us with the gospel to start off 2021. You know, I don't, I don't want to talk about all that stuff that's going on. There's plenty of that all week long to mess with and what the world's going on. I want to take you and smash you in the face with the gospel. You know, I mean, I, I want it to permeate every aspect of your being. I want your thoughts to be, oh, gosh, I kind of forgot there was bad news because I'm so hopeful in the gospel. Amen. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation in its fullness. In the midst of the darkness. Because the darkness is there, we're not denying that. And I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect and rosy. It's just which one do you want? Because we can't throw out all of the, the fruits of the gospel and the benefits of being in the kingdom of God just because the world's looking like it looks. It's a mindset. So we looked at the idea of mindsets and which mindset are you carrying. And I walked through a few different mindsets, you know, kind of a doom and gloom mindset. God's in control. If you haven't, so this is the third message in this series. There's two previous. You can go to our YouTube channel and watch the last two if you want to stay caught up. We're also reading, the whole church is reading together The Gospel of Peace by Jim Richards. We've got plenty of those books back there if you want to pick one up. And in our Facebook group, some of you YouTubers aren't on Facebook, we are having a daily discussion per chapter that's really good. I mean, the interaction is awesome. There's some great insights in there, and I'm really enjoying that. And then on Wednesdays, we're coming in, and we're talking about that book and having an open, it's almost like a book club on Wednesday nights to just talk about the, um, you know, just the gospel, what it means to you. So this, I just felt like the Lord put on my heart to just, let's just saturate ourselves with the gospel because the gospel is powerful and it's powerful to be whatever God wants for it to be in our lives in any given situation. So Jesus comes on the scene and he says, repent and believe the gospel. Repent means change your mind. We hear the word repent and we instantly think of sin. And it, there, there is that application, repent from your sin, turn from your sin, you know, uh, go to God, confess your sin, experience the forgiveness that He's already laid out to you in Christ. There, there is a turning away from sin in repentance, but we need to repent from a lot of things. We need to repent from the fear that we've let the news create within us, turn away from it. That, that's what repent, metanoia, have a turning of mind, change of mind. I'm going to turn away from what the world is doing to me or what I've put my eyes on, and I'm going to put my eyes on what? The gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. What does gospel mean? So your challenge is this. i got to turn my mind away to whatever it is that I'm believing to believe the good news. So whatever situation I find myself in, Christ has some kind of application for it. What is it that He has done to affect this part of my life? How can I believe that in my life for this specific situation? And the that, I don't want to define for you, but I can just tell you that whatever you're in, there's good news for it. 
Because Christ has become just like you so you can become like him. He became your sin so you could become righteous in him. He paid your debt. God has punished him to the degree that everything that God had against you, Jesus has already paid for. Not so that you can get away with sin, but so that there's freedom between you and the Father to go to him and be transformed by him. You couldn't do that under the law. So that's that's where we're going. So that was the first week. We talked about mindsets. Last week, we talked about the idea of a finished work hermeneutic. A hermeneutic is a theological term, and a hermeneutic is a process of how you come to your conclusions about what you believe about Scripture. Essentially, you know, in light of these passages, this group of passages, whether it be about a subject or a person or whatever, in light of this subject, I'm going to look at this data set. In other words, these passages... And I'm going to look at the application of those passages in Scripture. How did Jesus... So let's say healing. Right? I'm going to look, I'm do a little bit of study about healing. Let me go look at Jesus because He is the exact representation of the invisible God. Jesus showed us the Father. Jesus is the clearest picture that we have of who God is. So let me go look at Him to build my understanding on this subject. And based on these passages, based on His life, based on His death, burial, and resurrection, and how that affects me now... I will then come to this conclusion, which means this application for me. We all do it, but we don't systematically do it belief by belief. But I challenge you, anything that you believe about God, make sure that you have a finished work hermeneutic, that that you filter everything you believe about God through the finished work of Jesus. And the question came up this past Wednesday in the group, Uh, what is the finished work? And it's a great question. So the rest of these, and and I really already had this built in, but I like the way that it's phrased. What is the finished work and how are we going to talk about that? From the rest, you know, for the next month, what we're going to talk about is the, the, the finished work. In other words, what is it that Jesus actually finished? Today we're going to talk about the law. So let me just, let me kind of, I didn't finish our review. A finished work, Hermeneutic is based on these points, and there are more, and I would challenge you to think about this. How do I interpret Scripture? What are the main things in my mind that I believe about Scripture that I filter everything through? Not just case by case, cherry-picking a Scripture, coming to this conclusion. No, it all must make sense in light of who Jesus is and what He did. Everything points to Him. So a finished work hermeneutic is based on these points. And again, there are more. I challenge you to add some to your own list. The righteous state of the believer after the resurrection of Jesus. Heaven is within. We're forgiven. He gives us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's not holding our trespasses against us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're delivered from the curse of the law. His blood has made us holy. We are seated with Him in authority above all names. We're joint heirs with Him. We have His grace in us working to transform us. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into his, or translated us into his kingdom, you know. He has given us a new heart. His, I'm going to need a battery, nine volt. His spirit is in us, leading us and guiding us into all things. He has good plans for you, you know. Uh, so what, and, and we're not just trying to go through there and pick out the things that we like. We're basing it on the finished work of Jesus, So, a finished work hermeneutic. 
we must base everything we believe. Sorry. We must base everything we believe about God on Jesus, which means <laughs> repent and believe the gospel. Boy, that was smooth. All right. Then kind of at the tail end, last week we looked at you don't have to be afraid of God. God's motivation towards you is love. The, on the topic of fear, we looked at this. This is 1 John 4.18 in the Living Bible. I love this paraphrase because it says it so well. We need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. It, it, it just assumes God loves us perfectly. He loves us. Uh, his perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do to us if we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loves us. So you see, our love for him comes as a result of his loving us first. He commands you to love him and other people. But what basically, if you look at this, what God is commanding you to do is let you love him. I mean, let him love you. Let me say that again. He commands you to love him. You love him because he first loved you. You follow me? So what he's doing is he's commanding. He's like, look, I command you to do this. Let me love you. Because the way that I'm going to love you, you're just going to, you can't help but love me back. He's that confident in who he is. So, fear God, but don't be afraid of him. We looked at how Jesus interpreted that. All right, so here we are. What is the finished work? Again, today we're going to look at the law, and I'm going to read several passages, make some comments. I don't have practical application conclusions for you, but I pray that as you read through some of these passages about how to contextualize the law, for us now and the application of it in our life. See, because we, we hear these religious terms, the law and obedience and faithfulness and things like that, and it's like we understand the information. We understand the doctrines. But in your real world life, you're worried that you might lose your salvation because you make a mistake one day. In your real world life, you're wondering, and maybe not everybody, but some people, depending on your background, you're wondering if you were ever actually truly saved because what you were taught makes you question your salvation based on the way that you're currently living. I'm talking real world stuff here where we wonder, maybe I'm the exclusion to God's promises. God wants this for other people, but for me... You know, whatever that looks like for you, that, 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 that uh, guilt and shame that you continue to carry around with you because of the mistakes that you make. And I'm not saying you should just feel good about your sin because some of us are still trapped in sin habits and patterns. I'm just saying when you find yourself having failed and fallen into that trap again and repeating the cycle and that guilt and shame that you carry and then maybe it translates to, man, I, maybe... 
At some point, it's going to be too much for God. He's just not going to be able to handle it anymore. What you have to remember is this. Jesus, on that cross, became like you so that God could punish Jesus for those things that you are embarrassed and feeling guilty and are ashamed about to go to God over. You have these things that you don't go to God for because you feel guilty and ashamed and embarrassed. But Jesus was already punished for those things. He already knows what you're going through. He is a great high priest that is touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He was made like you in every way, tempted in every way like you are, yet without sin. Then God changed him into sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm telling you, people struggle with this idea. They don't like you messing with the nature of Jesus. You know, it feels a little sacrilegious almost for some people to think, oh, man, he, he became sin? Well, he had to. Otherwise, God would have been unjust in punishing him for sin. He would have been innocent. And he was, but we had already been given the model of the Levitical priesthood where when the sacrifice was brought in, as perfect as it was, the priest would analyze it to see if it was perfect enough and then what he would do is he would symbolically take the sin off of the sinner that brought the sacrifice and put it into and onto the sacrifice. I think that's the term splachnizomai. That sounded German, not Hebrew. But I actually have a sermon by that title on the church Facebook or YouTube if you want to go look at it. So we're just looking at this idea today. You're made righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, I was studying for this, you know, this week, and I'm like, man, I just would like to come in and pretty much just read Romans to you <laughs> or Galatians, like the whole, the whole thing. And I know you already have a reading assignment for this week, but I, I really want to encourage you for the rest of this series, work your way through Romans and, and just read through it. You know, Romans is interesting because it's kind of like Paul's Genesis it's, it's, he starts at the beginning as if you don't know anything and then takes you all the way through it. So you have to keep in mind, it's, you're reading it as if you've never heard it because some of the things that he says seem, oh, no, wait, no, wait a minute, you're saying this that seems contrary, but oh, now look, no, are you with me? Anyway, read it as if you'd never heard about the gospel and start there. Or if you want to take the shortcut, just read Galatians chapter 3. <laughs> I posted that kind of late last night on social media and I'm like, you know, it just says it. It says the same things that Romans says in many places, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. But it's, it's a real encapsulment, right? And it's so good. So here we go. Let's just read through some of these. Romans 1.15. And, and we're going to just look at the law. We're going to look at some passages. We're going to kind of look at a hermeneutic of how to understand the law at this point. We're going to look at a collection of passages about a subject. We're going to make sure that we understand it in light of the finished work and the conclusions that we're going to come to. We'll see what conclusions we come to, all right? So Romans 1.15, so I'm eager to preach, this is Paul, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God 
for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, the Hebrews, the Jews had to repent and believe that the gospel was also for Gentiles. One of the things that the Jews had to repent for is thinking that it was just for them. That, are you telling me that these dirty half-breed sinners can also be saved? You mean that the kingdom is also for these people that we have resisted and not intermingled with for generation and millennia? you telling me they can be saved? You're telling me Democrats can be saved? I mean, you know, for some people that's kind of the analogy. Uh, all right, Romans 7, 12, so the law is holy. Because yeah, that, that's one of the, there's a term, there's a theological term called antinomialism. So I think I said that right. That says that you're throwing away the law. Well, we're not throwing away the law. We're putting it in its proper place. This does that. So the law, absolutely the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Absolutely the, the law is good. But what it does is it points out that you are not before Christ. Now, again, you have to make this differentiation between who you are in spirit and who you are in this world still in these earth suits with the souls that we have. And, you know, it's hard to segment all that out, but we know that our eternal being is, is perfect and holy before God in this moment right now. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He has done a work within us to change what we are. He's given us a new heart. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's just focus on the law. The law is holy, all right? So it's good. We're not saying it's bad. We're not saying it's evil. It's good. And there's this, James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. If you ever get to on your little self-righteous high horse thinking that you have favor with God because you have conquered a sin... I can promise you, there are plenty others where you've missed it. Now, I'm talking more so to the religious-minded because it's that legalistic perspective that tries to evaluate people's salvation based on behavior. And I want to go to those people and I want to say, you're questioning, you're making people question their salvation because they made a mistake. Let me ask you something. In light of this... Did you overeat yesterday? Did you maybe drive a little too fast to work today? Did you lust after a woman today? You know what I'm saying? Like, if we're going to hold ourselves to the law, it's this standard right here. And it's not just behavior. It's of the heart. Jesus elevated it to an impossibility I, you know, you've heard it said, if you commit adultery, you're guilty. I say, if you've even lusted in your heart, you're guilty. What? No one, no one at all through any circumstance could ever say that you should keep the law for righteousness. Doesn't mean you willingly break the law. That's not what we're saying. Paul was attacked. Paul, they thought, was like when they heard it, the legalistic mind, well, it sounds like you're saying we should continue in sin. Well, no, God forbid. 
And we talk about these things all the time, but again, we're just resetting for 2021 to wash our minds a little bit and make sure that we are planting the good word, the good news in our hearts and in our minds. Let's keep going. Matthew 5, 17 through 19. This is Jesus. This is the ESV. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth... See, here's one of the big points that you got to get out of this. God is not relating to you based on the law anymore. Even though the law still stands and it's righteous and holy and perfect and it does its job of convicting of sin, He's not using it to relate to you any longer. We'll get to that. So... I've not come to abolish the law, because some people will use this and say, well, you see there, he's not throwing away the law. Well, we aren't either. But we're just recognizing God looks at you through the finished work of Christ, not how well you perform. I've not come to abolish, but to truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't say you'll be called righteous. Doesn't say this is the pathway to righteousness. And the fact that you teach people that you're free from the penalty of the law is not the same as go break the law. Galatians 2.16 Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. You are justified. Now see, certain section of Christianity like to segment out just redemption, forgiveness, justification, salvation, sanctification, holiness, as if it's all this one thing. Well, here's what happens. You stand before Jesus and you say, yes. And He takes His life, His blood, and however he does that, and he goes, and in that is your sanctification, your cleansing, which leaves you justified. He redeems you in this process. Yes, he puts his spirit in you to continually keep you sanctified. It's a term that's used in, in the Greek that an action happens to you that has continual result rather than it happens and then it continues to grow. You can't get more sanctified than the blood of Jesus washing you. But He does continue to do a work within you through His Spirit to lead you and teach you so that you live within that sanctified state and He teaches you to live holy, even though you are holy. We just put on the dead man in our mind and we make mistakes and we live improperly. But if you were to live according to your nature, you would live in the kingdom continually in this earth, not giving in to the power of sin. And Paul said, he said, don't sin. But if you do, remember, you have an advocate with the Father. Not so that, eh, it's okay, go ahead on and sin. He says, look, you're going to mess up. But remember, Jesus has paid for it. The path is clear. Go to Him, confess, experience that forgiveness that He's already given you, and live free of this guilt consciousness that you're walking around with, this sin consciousness. Because the law has been removed from its standard against you. 
Colossians talks about that, that the, he nailed the... There, there's just so much in there that really talks about it, it's hard to boil it down into one message. But I'm thinking about in Colossians where it talks about that the handwriting of the ordinance was against, that was against you was nailed to his cross. In other words, the record of sin that God had against you, he put it in Jesus. Galatians 3.24. So then, the law and, and you, you know, I mean, you're... If anybody questions, if you're a prophet, you were prophesying this morning where we were going. Did you see my notes today? No. You, you quoted this exactly. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Romans 3.20. Because by the works of the law, none of mankind will be justified in his sight. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So if you read the Old Testament... And even sometimes the words of Jesus and you feel like you feel a little guilty or you feel like less than or you can't, you're not good enough, good job. That's what's supposed to happen when you read the law. You're supposed to be condemned and feel guilty. But then you are thankful for the fact that He was your atonement, that He is your sin offering. All basic stuff, but I mean, I'm telling you, this is, it's power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We need to be hearing it. We need to be planting it. We need to be putting it in our minds, in our families, in the world around us. I, I'm, I said it jokingly, but I'm serious, man. Let's flood social media with the gospel. See, because we think people know these things, but I've been doing this for a while and preach the same kinds of things for 12 years. And I don't get tired of it. If you get tired of listening, go somewhere else for a little while, come back, I don't care, you know, it's fine, <laughs> whatever. You know what I mean? I'll just be over here preaching the gospel, it's all right. Uh, but if you read Scripture and you feel guilty and condemned, that you're taking it seriously. But then put yourself back in that finished work and keep reading. So verse 21, Romans 3, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. That, that's really the point that I feel like God was saying today. And it's a, it's, we know this, but reaffirm it. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, but it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all who believe. Romans 3, 23. For all of sin falls short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace. And grace is the word charis. It's a divine influence in your heart. The picture that I see is He gives you righteousness out of his, the influence of His own being. He influences you as if you know, gravity were influencing you or as if you ate something and your body began to break it down and assimilate it and send oxygen to your blood and nutrients to your liver and your lungs and repair. That's grace assimilating righteousness into you to, to teach you and develop a transformation, a lifestyle within you. So verse 25, whom God is... Disp uh, did I read 24? Yeah. I'll read it again. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Propitiation means the allay, to allay anger or to satisfy wrath. Propitiation, Jesus, and, and a lot of people, there's kind of this movement 
that God didn't punish Jesus happening. You know, there's kind of this victorious, uh, what, what's, the, what's the term? I forget the term. It's a, it's a term that people use. And it's like, it's both. Yes, it's a victorious proclamation that Jesus is absorbing the sin of the world, but as modeled under the Levitical priesthood system that God gave us to prepare our minds to understand what was going to happen in Jesus, God himself made Jesus to become our sin so that he would have a laser-sharp bullseye which to focus his wrath towards sin and rebellion and exhaust all of it into Jesus. That's why we use the phrase, God's not mad at you. God is not mad at you. God is not this archaic Babylonian God that needs blood to satisfy his anger. That's not what it was about. That's the justice side of him having to punish the breaking of his law. See, we, we do, I don't think we really know like cosmically, like outside the realm of creation, the level of accountability that we actually have. Some people present this idea that, oh, we're just innocent beings that God created us. We didn't ask to be here, but now we're held to this law, and so therefore he's judging us, so I better toe the line. Now, there, there's more to it. I don't really know all, I don't really know how to articulate what I kind of feel about that, but there's a level of accountability beyond what we know. We are absolutely subject to him and his authority beyond our temporary lifetime. God is not unjust, you know, because people will say, well, how can you eternally punish someone for a temporary crime? Things like this get thrown out there. It's like, I. I have faced, I went through some really crazy stuff and faced death, essentially, and had this experience with, like, judgment and the way that I had lived my life and where I had brought myself and my attitudes. I knew that I deserved to be cut off from God. There was no question. I deserved eternal separation in darkness from God. I, I, I can't explain it to you. I really can't explain that. It's just, it's an experience that I had and then I recognized that I could be saved in Him, and it was outside of the realm of this temporary time, and it was powerful, and it changed me forever. I mean, I know that I have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. I absolutely know that He truly forgives. The power of the gospel. My hope is that we, you know, do this church thing, with the chance that you might have a moment with God that transcends sitting in a row, looking at a screen, listening to a preacher, trying to understand. I, I, we do this, honestly, to just host an opportunity for you to contact and have an encounter with Him in that moment so that something sticks beyond anything that anybody can ever say or not say. That the Word is... Vera, you, 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 it bears witness within you to the degree that it's something that means something to you for your entire life. Because yeah. God is spiritual. He's at work. He is alive and He is active. And His Spirit is confirming to you that you are His child. Amen? Amen? I mean, I want it to bear witness on a deeper level than you just intellectually understanding the doctrine of how to understand the law at this point. I, I, want, you to, I want you to have such a thankfulness toward God for this salvation that He has given you, that you are in awe of Him. 
because of how deep it touches you and changes you because of what he did for you. Like, that's my hope. Like, I'm, you know, it's this foolishness of preaching thing. We're just up here trying to paint a picture to the point that you, that you identify with the portrait that's being painted to the degree that it means something to you. Yeah. I, I said this. I don't remember. I mentioned it in a message, but I, I didn't mean to go here, but I'm just thinking about it. Did anybody see the show Parks and Rec? There's a scene in there where this guy that's really kind of shallow, and he's like, hey, hey, oh, hey. you know, he's kind of like, <laughs> he's a deal maker. And he has an emotional reaction to a piece of art for, his fir- for the first time ever. And he's looking at this thing, and he like starts to kind of cry. And he's like, he just, he, he's, it's unexpected that he has an emotional reaction to a piece of art. And so he goes and he hires other artists to try to paint something so he has this reaction again. That's religion. We try to fabricate these moments that we have with God thinking we can pay for it. And he's like, I, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. It's, it's, you know what I mean? What, who's the character you've seen in the show? Yeah, but who's the, who's the character? Tom. Tom. Oh, man, it's so funny. That, that, that's what we want. We want to look at these things, and it's like, okay, I get it. I understand it. But, man, it, I, I pray that it touches you at a level that solidifies your relationship with God, that transcends anything in this world. Let's keep going. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It gets repetitive. It's actually pretty easy to understand. And we intellectually agree with it. But again, in your real world, when you're feeling guilty and shameful and you don't go to God, it's because you don't realize that you are justified by faith and not the law. You still think that God's holding the law against you. Therefore, you stand before Him and you feel embarrassed to go to Him. Well, you might have some embarrassment, but you got to look at He crafted this system for you to clear the path for you to come for Him because that's the only way to healing, to salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 10, 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Therefore, having been justified, say, I am justified. justified. You want to know what you really believe? Stand by yourself. Imagine you're in front of God and say, I'm perfect. I am holy. I am righteous. And see how you feel. Actually pay attention to where your thoughts go. If you stand by yourself and you just have that moment with God and then you say out loud, I am righteous, where do your thoughts go? Do you think about what he did for you? And your place in him, or do you think about that last sin that you fell into? And if that last sin comes up, your conscience is still feeling it. That's a good thing, you know. You want you want to allow your conscience to help you identify where you are, and your conscience should be a bit of a guide to show you, you know, this is not good. We don't want this in our lives. I'm not saying you should just have free will and, you know, if there's sin in your life that you shouldn't feel bad about it. But what I'm saying is you should not have this barrier of God's judgment or disappointment toward you to go to Him through. It's not there. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained an introduction by faith into this grace. We'll focus on what grace is, one of the messages in this series specifically, but 
in which we stand and we celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. Two more. For sin will have no dominion over you. This, you know, and I've, I've said it, said it, said it, said it, said it, and people that I love and pay attention to in this field or this, this vein say the same thing. There's actually more personal responsibility in this message than there is, I would dare say, any other message in Christianity because you are not under the power of sin. You don't have a sin nature any longer driving you in direct opposition to God naturally. That has been removed from you. You have a righteous root within you. You don't have the body of sin. Colossians, it says, he removed that body of sin out of you and he put in a body of righteousness, which is Christ Jesus. And that body is not subject to the lure of temptation and sin. You only fall into sin, not naturally, but when you think like your old dead man and you give in to those lusts and desires that you've allowed to temporarily override what and who you really are. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Like the, that one was really speaking to me in this moment, you know. You are not under law but under grace. And we know, I think it's in, is it Peter that um, grace teaches us to live holy? Last one. This kind of sets the tone for going forward here. Romans 7, 4, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in regard to the law through the body of Christ. When that guilt and shame rises up and says, mm, not sure you're saved. Mm, I'm not sure that God really feels this way about you. Too good to be true. Eh, that's just fluffy religion, theology. Eh. You say, oh, no, I'm dead to that. I died in Jesus. And I think next week we're going to go into the the, the, the circumcision, the spiritual circumcision that God performed on you and basically killed you in Christ. Uh, you know, to say if I could say it that way. Well, let me start this one. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in regard to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were brought to light by the law were at work in the parts of our body to bear fruit for death. But now, say but now, we have been released from the law. Having died to that which we were bound so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. This is what the entire church of God on this planet should be focused on. Serving Him out of the newness of life in the Spirit. What does that look like? I pray that God speaks that to you in this moment. You know, I pray that it causes you to repent and think, I don't, I don't want to relate. You know, I, yeah, I got these things in my life I need to clean up. Yeah, I got this sin habit. I haven't told anybody about this one. You know what I mean? Deal with that stuff. And the way that you deal with it is you're honest with God about it. You go to Him without the fear that He's going to reject you because of it because He already made Jesus like you to punish it. That thing that you're embarrassed about, feeling guilty and shameful about, He has already dealt with in Jesus. Go to Him so that you can actuate the forgiveness that, is, that He's given in that. 
that you can live in the righteousness that he has for you in that. You don't have to struggle with that stuff your whole life. That's what Christians do. They, they get to this place where it's like, I'm just, you know, this is just who I am. And it just kind of we, we, tr- we make bargains emotionally for our mental state. There is freedom. There is freedom that you may not understand. You know, like... Well, I'm just thinking, I'm looking, there's kids in here, so I'm going to say I want to say it this way. You know, a lot of, a lot of people struggle with pornography. And you, so you get a men's group together and people start bringing up their issues. And then some people start talking about how they're actually truly free from it. And the other guys that aren't are sitting there looking at them going, I don't see it. I don't think that's something. I, I know. I feel I'm struggling with this. You're telling me that you're free from it? You don't, you don't even want to do that anymore? Really? I don't think that there is that kind of level of freedom in that particular sin. It's too gripping. And so they judge themselves and they sit within it. And when you hear somebody that proclaims freedom and you pray they're telling the truth, you don't know because you don't realize the depth of which the gospel can produce freedom within you because it's a big one across the board. If there is a freedom that you look at and you disqualify yourself from it, you are holding the law against you. Realize God is not holding that against you first and foremost And then how can the righteousness of Christ that's in me bring me to such a place of wholeness? You're shocked at the transformation yourself. It's repenting and believing the gospel. I want you to be shocked at the level of freedom that you're experiencing. Not because you have obeyed God to the level of freedom, but because you have rested in the finished work of Jesus that you are free from the law The law points out your sin. The law strengthens sin in a way, in a weird kind of paradoxical way that's a little hard to even understand, but it says it does. As soon as you see that law, you see a speed limit sign, what do you do? How how much can I break the law? Right? But you're on a country road where there's no speed limit signs, what do you do? You drive in such a way that you're protecting yourself, you're protecting everybody, you might have a little fun, you know, but you're protecting all the other people out there. But as soon as you see that speed limit sign, where can I find, what's my boundary? That's the law. I'll finish with a little funny story. There was a guy, actually I just heard about this. I can't believe it happened, but this guy got pulled over. And it was actually just right down the road here. And the cop came up and he knocked on the window and he says, hey, I just, just wanted you to know, I'm not giving out tickets today. But what we're doing is we're kind of changing our philosophy in the police force and we're telling people, good job. The police, law enforcement, we're going and we're telling people, good job. In fact, we're giving people driving rewards for how well they're driving. Do you believe that? Didn't happen. The law doesn't do that. The law is there to point out when you miss it. The law doesn't really give benefits for keeping the law. The law only punishes when you break it and reveals to you the fact that you broke it. That's what it's designed to do. It can't bring righteousness. Faith in Christ can because he became your sin so that you could become righteous in him. Amen? Let's stand up. And just thank Him. Father, we thank You. 
We thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Now, I, I open my heart and my mind to you that this truth be illuminated within me, that this truth saturate how I see myself, how I relate to you. I open my heart and mind to not just mentally assent to these ideas and agree to these things and say, yep, I know the doctrine in the Scripture, but that I actually live within the power of your righteousness in a free, open relationship with you, God, my Father. I don't have to carry this guilt and shame. I don't have to stay stuck in this sin. You're not holding it against me, which actually sets me free from it. I, I pray that you give me revelation on how to understand that. I thank you that you have made a way apart from the law to be right before you, that we are accepted before you because of the work that you have done to make me accepted rather than working my way towards you. It's so fundamental, but I pray that that touches the deep parts of my heart where I live my real life from. We thank you. Father, I thank you that as a benefit of your spirit within us, that you are teaching us to live godly. We yield to you. Those of us that may be struggling with a particular sin issue, God, we just give that to you. Help. Help. <laughs> we don't know how to conquer these things, but I start with the truth that you're not holding it against me. And I can come to you. I can be honest with you. I can come to you for help because you know how to comfort me and you know how to strengthen my inner man to be free. That I live in that changed righteous nature rather than the thought processes of the old dead man. Thank you for that freedom that's in you, Jesus. Thank you for that freedom that's in you. I speak life and health over every single person in this place. I thank you that you designed our bodies to heal. I thank you that we're exercising wisdom as we navigate what's going on in the world around us. I, I, I Personally, I thank you for those that are if they have symptoms or whatever, we do like we always do and we protect each other and we stay away and all that kind of stuff. But I, I just thank you that you're giving us wisdom of how to be loving and honoring in this system, but yet not compromise on our authority in you, not compromise on the boldness that we have as ambassadors, but that we walk in love toward people. And it may be different case by case. Father, we, we just have to trust you. There is no perfect right or wrong in this situation. We just lean on you to be led by you moment by moment. And whatever that may be, we become all things to all people so that we might win some. We trust you and we love you. I speak financial blessing over every single person in this place. It was your original design from the very beginning of giving us uh, the blessing through Abraham that you wanted to bless us so that we would be a blessing. Father, we are open to being generous people. There is no law of obligation of a tithe under the new covenant. There is only the compulsion of generosity. We want to sow into those things that we believe in. We want to sow into those things that are meaningful to us. We want to sow into those things that we believe will reach other people. And we do it lovingly and willingly. When we're stingy, we know that we reap stingily. <laughs> but when we're generous, we, we, we reap generously. And that's just the law. It's just like our heart even governs that. So I'm a generous person. Amen. I give abundantly Amen. to be a blessing. Yes. And we thank you, Jesus. We just, just one last mention. We set our hearts on you. Yes. We thank you for remaining obedient to that death of the cross through the grave in your ascension and keeping us safe in that covenant because you uphold it.
Thank you that we're free from the law and we are righteous in you. In your name, amen, amen.